Welcome to Foundations, a podcast from Field Partner. We're an online portal of resources, training materials, courses and coaching for cross-cultural workers at each stage of their journey. This podcast is the home of our biblical teaching, which is an essential foundation for effective cross-cultural work and for following Jesus faithfully. For free courses, blogs, interviews and more, check out our website, fieldpartner.org, and follow us on social media to keep up to date with our latest resources. Quite a difficult passage in the New Testament. And the reason it's difficult is because the way God works and the way we work is not the same. So I'm going to read a short short, uh, passage from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus has been with a quite difficult time with some of the Jewish leaders who rejected him. And I think the disciples and he went to, uh, you could say, to Hualien or Pingdong or somewhere, uh, just to get out of the way to have a time of rest. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out. Canaanite woman means she was not Jewish. In fact, she was a traditional enemy of the Jews. And she came to him and said, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus didn't answer her a word. Now, why don't you take this in? This is why it's a difficult passage. She comes and says, my daughter is dying, is demon-possessed very severely. He doesn't pay any attention. Now, I have five daughters and five granddaughters. I've had a daughter almost killed in a car crash. I've had all kinds of things. So when you pray for a daughter like this, you want him to answer. But it says he didn't answer a word. And then the disciples, just to make it worse, say, get rid of her. Please, Jesus, get rid of her. We came here for a break, and she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, you get that, do you? He's saying to the Canaanite woman, I was not sent to your people. I'm nothing to do with you. That's difficult. She then came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Wow. I mean, it gets worse. He says, I mean, dogs in any culture is capable of offense. Uh, There will be some teams in the World Cup where some countries will call the other countries dogs. It doesn't mean we're your supporters. It means anything but. She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And he said, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that moment. Now, here's the problem with this passage. Wouldn't it be wonderful, wouldn't it be fantastic if it went from verse 22 to verse 28? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it went straight from her saying to Jesus, have mercy on me, to verse 28, him saying, your request is granted, your daughter is whole. That's the way we would like Christianity to run. That's the way would make life so much easier. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. 
And the reason he didn't do that is really critical for you and for me. I'm not teaching you a history lesson. I'm teaching you a life lesson. Because there were two things Jesus wanted to do. The first was to change her. The second was to change her daughter, to heal her daughter. See, we want instinctively a Christianity that doesn't demand me to change. We want a religion where our gods answer our prayers, and I could apply it, but some of you know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't demand my life to be changed. My life can continue the same, I just get my gods to answer my prayers. That's not the way Jesus works. Jesus works in a way that changes us. He uses situations like this so that we are changed and he uses our need between our need and our answer, verse 22 to verse 28. See, what, what you may be new with Jesus, you may have been with Jesus a long time, but what do you want from him? Do you want better car, better house, better this, better that? Or do you want to know Jesus better? But there's something else that I really want to emphasize, and I'll come back to it. Jesus went for a break with the disciples. She came and said, heal my daughter. Jesus did not go there to meet with her. The only reason they met was because she said, I want to be a difference maker. And the answer is with Jesus. There was a passion in her that the only way I know, she said, to get the answer to my daughter's need is to connect with Jesus. And it really strikes me that, that what God wants to say to some of us is, is that the way you feel about life? that there's some calling to bless others in your life that only Jesus can fulfill. Because if you feel that, then Jesus is going to have to change me and change you before he can do it. He's going to have to bring us to verse 28 where he says, your faith is great and your daughter is healed. He's not going to leave us the same. But again, let me emphasize she went to him. She ran to him. She maybe, I don't know, I've no idea how she heard about him. Maybe some relative had come back from, I don't know, Jerusalem or Galilee or somewhere, and the relative said, hey, there's this, this prophet, Jesus. Doubt they understood he was a Messiah. But he's been healing people, so maybe he could help your daughter. Her reaction was, then I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm going whatever it takes to make a difference in my daughter's life. So my question is, is there that daughter figure in our life? Is there a, a passion to be a difference maker in our life? Is there some fire within us that says, I don't want to drift through life the way most people do, I want my life to make a difference to other people. I want my life to bring the blessing of Jesus into other lives and wait for it. 
I am prepared to pay a price so that he can do it. See, it's, I'm going to skip that for now. The, the first key is this. Who do you think was responsible for the miracle? You say, well, Jesus was, because Jesus did the miracle. That's not the question I'm asking you. Who drove this incident to verse 28? Let me explain. Was it that Jesus, his reaction was Tao Yen? She's a nuisance. She's a pain in the neck. Was that what he felt? And it's only because she kept with him that he felt eventually, look, I really better heal her, her daughter or I'll never get rid of her. If you think that, then you're never really going to understand what walking with Jesus means. Because it wasn't her that made the difference. It was him. I believe the moment she came, he looked on her with love. There's a, I was reading one commentator on this. It, it may be in the notes below. I don't know. But the commentator said, I believe there was a warm smile on the face of Jesus in verse 28. What did he mean? He meant all the time that, that this was going on, Jesus was longing to heal her daughter. What he had to do was change her in order to do it. When she stayed with him, he was just overjoyed. That's what I wanted to do for you. It's just I had to work in your life to bring you to that place. Is that what I want from Jesus? If anybody told you walking with Jesus is easy, my guess is they don't walk with Jesus. Uh, it, it is, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. I, I said in the first service this morning, what do you call it? FX or whatever you guys call it. I said I, I was 75 years of age about uh, two months ago, and in 10 months' time, it'll be 50 years since I came to this place. Now, the, the key here is all the time, even at this stage in my life, Jesus is changing me. Every morning when I wake up, I give thanks for five things. And then I have a simple prayer. Father and Son and Holy Spirit, I want to know you better. I want to grow in the knowledge of you. And then I commit the day to the Lord. This morning it was about half past three for some reason. Is it in your heart to say, Lord, I want to know you better? Because if it is, then he's going to take you on a path like this. Please don't believe that the only reason Jesus made it difficult for her, because he wanted to make it difficult for her, the only reason he made it difficult is that was the only way to bring the blessing and change into her life that he wanted to bring. And with all of our lives, that's, that's so. There are times when it seems he does not answer. There are times when it seems he gives quite a difficult answer. But the reason he does that is always to bring his love and blessing into a greater way in our lives. So what we've got to understand is the kind of person God uses. She was a woman in a society that uh, 
somewhat looked down on women or didn't have a major place for women. When was it the other day? Some, trying to think of it, some country had just elected a new cabinet that had twice as many women as men, uh, which is quite rare. Uh, it certainly wasn't this cabinet. Doesn't happen. Secondly, she was a traditional enemy of the Jews, the Kenyanites. Those were the people who got driven out when the people of Israel went into the promised land. Thirdly, she was the daughter of a, she was the mother of a demon-possessed girl. I, I want you to think how it was that if she came into this meeting, she would be yelling the whole time, heal my daughter, and we'd be thinking, oh, do be quiet. Oh, do shut up. That was the person that Jesus said, you have great faith. And that was the person that Jesus said, your daughter's healed. What I'm saying to you is, doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter whether you know the leadership of this church very well or you don't know them at all. Especially maybe if you're someone and you don't know a single other person in the church and you're thinking, I don't really fit in here. Well, I hope you do. I hope you find that you do. But what I want to say to you is even if you're you don't you don't have the relationships. You don't, you're not one of the inner crowd. What I want to say to you is God has a plan and purpose for your life. Because what this story tells us is a classic enemy of the Jews who was a woman with a demon-possessed daughter. Her story is recorded in Scripture as a remarkable event in the ministry of Jesus. And for each of us, whatever our backgrounds, Jesus wants to do the same thing, provided we walk the way that she walked. Number three, understand God and his ways. I don't know if any of you have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or in my case, watched the movie. Do you know that movie? Okay. Well, this is probably one of the most famous quotes from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The kids say to Mr. Beaver, who's who's like one of the heroes, is Aslam safe? And the answer is, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Now, I, I want you to understand, that's what walking with Jesus is like. He is not safe. He's not a tame lion. He's not the savior who does everything you want him to do in exactly the way you want him to do, anything but but he's good. And good means he wants the best for your life. As simple as that. So the Lord will deal with each of us differently. Really important that we realize that. I said in the, in the first service, no, the second service, I said that in about two months' time, I will meet with a, an international council of a ministry on which I sit. It's not Antioch, it's another one. Actually, Derek Prince Ministries. Yeah, most of you may not know that. 
but it's a worldwide ministry. I sit on the International Council. Every one of the other five guys has a nice house. Every one of the other five guys has one, if not two, cars. One of them has a boat. Every one of them lives at home in their own countries. My wife and I have half of a two-bedroom flat because my fifth daughter lives in it. We have no car, and we certainly don't have a boat. If anybody gave me a boat, I would sell it and buy a new computer and an iPhone 11 or whatever. I will sit down with those guys and we'll discuss budgets for international outreach to China, to Russia, to South America, to Cuba, to India, to Pakistan. Now, for me, the key is this. It's nothing to do with me where they live or how many cars they've got. Because the way God leads me is different from the way he leads them. You hearing what I'm saying? If I start thinking the way Jesus led them isn't fair, why does he give them more than me? Then I'm going to lose it. Because the way God leads me is different from the way God leads them, each one differently. And what I'm saying to you is don't, in gifts, in financial capacity, in lifestyle, in job, whatever, please don't compare yourself with others. The worst thing you can do to Pastor Peter or Pastor Rudy is this. Do not think he likes him or her more than me. He doesn't, but you may feel that. And that kind of... If you don't realize that God leads us all individually, if you said to me, let me be as clear as I can, if you said to me, would I change places with the other five guys that I'll sit around a table for for three days discussing ministry, I would not want to change places with a single one of them. Because the way the Lord has led me is the best way he could have done it. His leading in each of our lives is different. Now, I'm going to share something with you, the fourth point, and this may be right or it's maybe wrong, but let me have a go anyway. She comes up to him and she says, in verse 22, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. <clears throat> son of David was an expression that the Jewish Christians could use but that she as a Canaanite at that time shouldn't use. It was using Jewish terminology to try and get Jesus to pay attention to her. What I mean by that, maybe someone said, if you want to get his attention, use the word son of David. But Jesus didn't pay any attention to it at all. Why? because she wasn't entitled at that time to use that expression. What do I mean by that? There's no simple key. There's no mima. There's no 
phrase that you can use that will automatically get your prayers answered. Let me go deep on this one and risk losing you. Last night, I, my wife is in England and I went to bed and I wasn't sleepy, so I turned on YouTube and listened to a guy called John Piper. Uh, I guess some of you may have listened to him. I, I don't agree with some of his theology, but I think he's a tremendous preacher of the word. I love his commitment to the word. And this is what he said, and it was very interesting. He turned to Job 22, and he read out some verses that Eliphaz, Eliphaz was one of Job's comforters. He read out some verses from Job 22 that Eliphaz said to Job, Job is struggling, his children have died, he's lost his cattle, he's lost everything. He's saying, God, what are you doing to me? Eliphaz comes along and gives him some advice. He said, if you return to the Almighty, if you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove wicked behavior far from your tent and throw your gold in the dust. There's a good um, offering <laughs> verse. Throw your gold in the dust, the gold of Ophir amongst the rocks in the ravines. Throw it away. Then the Almighty himself will be your gold and the choicest silver for you. So he's saying, Job, get rid of your money, whatever he had left. And it wasn't a lot at that point because everything had been stolen. And God will be your gold. Now, wouldn't you think that's brilliant theology? Guys struggling, things aren't going well. Job, make God your gold. But here is what God said to Eliphaz 20 verses, chapters later. In Job 42, 7, after the Lord had spoken these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, that's the guy who just said what I read, my anger is stirred against you and your two friends because you have not spoken about me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, John Piper brought that out. What is going on there? The man says, get rid of your gold and make God your gold. Isn't that perfect theology? And yet, God says, I'm angry with you, Eliphaz. But I'm not angry with Job. Why? Because Eliphaz said it in a judgmental way. Eliphaz didn't bring the rhema of God to encourage Job. He brought a word that was to make Job feel guilty. He brought an unhelpful word. He said something that was right theologically, but wrong in its application in that context. So we can come to Jesus and we can sing the worship songs and we can say the right things and we can impress people with our amazing spirituality, but God is looking at the heart. God is saying, do you have an Eliphaz heart? Or a Job heart? Do you have a heart that's really seeking after me like the Canaanite woman did? Or is your heart, uh, those of you who speak Chinese will know the expression, sin yen. is your heart really not in it? It's a kind of game. It's a, I, I had a, when I was at Cambridge University, I had a friend 
and I was studying theology and he was studying English. He loved to talk about God. He absolutely loved to talk about God. We would go for long walks. I was witnessing to him and he would take it all and come back for more later. And then he even switched from English to theology. But he never believed in Jesus. It's kind of like a game for him, I guess, or an intellectual, some form of philosophy or something. He never connected with Jesus and surrendered his heart to Jesus. And so I just want to throw that out as a warning that, um, using another Chinese expression, he knows our hearts. He knows if our hearts are real or we're just fooling around. He knows the young man in this group, I don't know who you are, but I think there would be, who's only here because you're chasing your girlfriend. Uh, actually, there's a very senior member of Lingnang Tang who actually came on a gospel team that I was leading. And the only reason he came on the gospel team, he wasn't a Christian and he was supposed to be serving as a Christian. The only reason he came is he was chasing his girlfriend who came on the team. People do that. God isn't fooled. But the wonderful news is he's now one of the five senior leaders of Lingyang Tang because God got him anyway. You don't know who he is. <laughs> I do because he confessed his sins later to me. <laughs> God knows our hearts, if they're real or not. See, you can be a Canaanite woman with a demon-possessed daughter, but in a better place than one of the disciples, if your heart is right with God. You think of it. Judas was with, God, with Jesus the whole time. But in the end, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The Syrophoenician woman, this woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Are you aware that Jesus only said that to two people in the New Testament? Only twice in the Gospels did Jesus say, you have great faith. Both were Gentiles. One was a man, one was a woman. Wow. What does this mean to us? It means that God knows your heart, and if it's in the right place, then he's going to change us and bring us to where he wants us. Number five, as I said at the beginning, she wanted to help someone else. She wasn't chasing Jesus for her own blessing. Lord, bless me. Make me prosper. Make me rich. Make me have seven Ferraris and two Mercedes. That wasn't what she was saying. Saying it's for my daughter. It's for my daughter. See, if you want to be a difference maker, you need to know whose life you want to make a difference in. My daughters are in very different worlds. One is church planting in Los Angeles. And their particular burden is to people who've been burnt off by church. Another daughter is a movie director and a scriptwriter. Her burden is for people in the media, in, in arts, that kind of world. They're, they're very clear, both of them, in their different worlds. In what God has, where God has called them to make a difference. It's key that we know that. 
understand that the world around us doesn't help us really to run as this woman ran. The Pharisees had just had a major argument with Jesus, causing him to leave them. The disciples, their only comment in the entire story was in verse 23 to say, send her away, get rid of her. I just sense there are some here. I, I get different promptings in each of the three services, so I'm going to stay here just a minute. But when are we supposed to finish? Were you asleep? Did I wake you? Sorry. <laughs> what? What? Okay, got you. In, in, in this, the disciples say, send her away. Now, some theologians say what they actually meant was, oh, for goodness sake, heal her daughter and get rid of her. Others would say, no, they actually meant... For goodness sake, Jesus, tell her to buzz off. Tell her to go. I don't know which. I think probably the former. But whatever, the disciples felt, please get rid of her. She's a horrible expression. You know the expression? A waste of space. We just don't want her here. Now, I sense that there are people speaking into your life, one or two of you, in that way. I sense people are speaking into your life and saying, you're a waste of space. Get out of here. You'll never make a difference. Jesus could never use you. I, I need to sit here for a minute or two because I didn't say this in either of the first two services, but there are folk here, someone has spoken into your life, maybe parents, maybe teacher, I read something the other day. It was some like high-flying businessman, Christian businessman, who was very, very successful. And in school, early in school, his teacher didn't like him. His teacher constantly said, you're useless. You'll never amount to anything. And then the teacher left. And another teacher came into his class at the beginning of a new year. And he never did any work, he was angry, he was bitter, he had that sense of failure hanging over him. And the new teacher came in and looked at him and he thought, here we go. She's going to do the same. Teacher looked at him and said, young man, I want you to know I believe in you. I want you to know you're going to be successful. From that point, his life changed. He studied hard. He, I think, became like a high-flying scientist or something like that. The first teacher cursed him, to be quite blunt with you, in the biblical sense. A curse is where is the opposite of a blessing. The second teacher blessed him and said, I believe in you. I believe that there is potential in you to be successful. And the story runs that his father would discover him at one o'clock in the morning still doing his homework and say, what on earth are you doing? And he said, because I, I need to fulfill the promise that my teacher spoke into my life. And he did. Now, 
I have a sense that some of you, I didn't feel this in the first two services, those curse, curses have been spoken into your life by family, by siblings, by friends, by teachers. People have said to you, Johnny will make it, and will make it, you never will. Do you know what you need to do with that? You need to renounce that curse on your life. And you need to get somebody who's anointed to pray, to pray over you and bless you to fulfill the destiny that God has for you. There are some in this room now that you've had those words spoken into your life. And they're not from Jesus. They are absolutely not words that Jesus speaks over you. Because I tell you again, it doesn't matter who you are, God has a good purpose and a good destiny for you. God's plan for you is to succeed. Let me shading yi. I do not mean that you will necessarily become rich and famous and this kind of thing. What I do mean is that you'll find your destiny in Jesus more satisfying than having your name in Luntan Bao or whatever newspaper every week. It's as simple as that. And there are some this morning, you need to, to ask for prayer. Personally, I think after the service, and you need to ask somebody to pray for you to renounce that curse and to speak blessing over you, to speak the Lord's perfect plan and desire over you. And if you say, I don't think God has a plan for my life, I say to you, Feihua, rubbish. He has a good plan for you. Listen to me. I, I went to Cambridge University. On Saturday nights, I used to go to the Christian Union. The Xiaoyan Tran Chi, if you like, if you know what that is. And I looked, as a young Christian, all these amazing students who were going to do mighty things for God. And I thought, well, eh, I, I'm not in their league. They're superstars. I'm just an ordinary guy, ping fong run. And then I discovered that God had a purpose for them and for me. That God doesn't have people who are too ordinary to give destinies to. In fact, God desires the most ordinary people to be used in the most unordinary ways because then he gets the glory. So if you're in that situation where it's been spoken over your life, look, get out, go away. You'll never amount to anything. Please renounce that in the name of Jesus. The final thing, really key. Wait for the last word. Wait for the last word. Let's run through it again. She came to Jesus and Jesus didn't answer her. She cried out to Jesus and he said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. She knelt before Jesus and said, please help me. And he said, I'm not going to take the, or it's not right to take the children's bread, the, the Jewish people's bread, and give it to the Gentile dogs. I mean, any way she could have walked away at that point, but she didn't. And then she got to verse 28. Oh, you of great faith. 
your child is healed. And the child was healed from that hour. So what's my final point? Wait for the final word. Wait for the final word. Please don't give up in verse 23 or 24 or 25 or 26 or 27. Don't think what Jesus said or didn't say before 28 was the final word. They were just aligning her so that he could bless. He has good purposes for you. And again, there will be some here who've Kamala, who've, who've given up at verse 24 or 25 or 26 or 27. Please don't do that. Because if you press on like she did, you're going to hear those two things. You're going to hear his pleasure because you held in. And you're going to hear that he's granted your request. The greatest sadness, I think, or one of them in the heart of God would be when people give up before verse 28 because it's too hard, because it doesn't seem to be working or whatever. If you're on, on a long struggle, if you worship this afternoon, but actually there are tears in your heart, it's okay. There is a verse 28 for you. Just keep close to Jesus. Keep pressing in and you'll hear it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you put in the Bible the difficult stories, not just the cream puff stories. You put in there the stories about people who really made a difference, who held in with you, Jesus. Guys, let me just say one more thing to you as we pray. Um, there's some wonderful hell song, worship songs come out recently. We've sung one or two of them today. There's one called New Wine. I, that hits me harder than any other song of the Because what it says, I came here with nothing. But Lord, take these, take this soil of my life, take the grapes of my life, and blend them into new wine, whatever you have to do. I think some of you, dear ones, Jesus is saying, there's a vintage wine going to come out of your life. Just hang in there till verse 28. Lord, help us each one. Not to judge you before you've said the final word. Not to be deceived by those who reject us. Help us to be right. Actually, I'm going to sit down, but I really feel some of you, if you've had that you speaking into the spoken into your life. Please deal with it to come up and ask someone to pray for you, to bless you in the name of Jesus, and to cut off those words which were not from We hope you found this resource encouraging. Why not subscribe to be notified of our future episodes? You can also check out our sister podcast, simply called Field Partner, featuring inspiring stories from experienced missionaries. Follow us on social media or sign up to our newsletter via the website to stay up to date on our latest resources.